Good evening. Good evening. Happy New Year. A New Year 2020 is here. A new year and uh, a new year for the podcast. Yeah, podcast. Probably. Yeah, we are celebrating an anniversary. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing this for a year with more than 20 episodes and we've just been enjoying it. And we hope our listeners continue to uh Follow along with us and uh, share information with your friends and everyone so that we can continue to enjoy what we're doing with the with the uh, podcast. Absolutely. Kick off for season two, as we as we can say, this is season two, season two and looking forward to it. So tonight on uh, on season two or the kickoff, uh, I think we're going to discuss a movie that you've watched over the holiday and uh, pretty relevant to uh, to the black community and to people as a whole, uh, you know, uh, and that movie is The Green Book. And uh, you mentioned it was the first time you saw it. Uh, I saw the movie when it first came out in the theaters, and I've also got it on my iPad, and then occasionally I'll, I'll rewatch it again just, uh, you know, because it was a good movie uh, based on some uh, true events that occurred uh, during the uh, times of uh, segregation, uh, right, right. So, so yeah, I knew I knew about the Green Book itself. Yeah. I knew the history of it and how it was used to help people, um, you know, navigate through society and in segregated uh, situations. But I just had not seen the movie. And over the yeah. uh, Christmas break, it happened to be on. And uh, the family, we just sat there and watched it over the holidays, and I really enjoyed it, man. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. As you as you mentioned, you know the the, the Green Book. Um, some uh, some info I found. I was just sitting around the other night uh, here in the house and uh, in between basketball games, watching on <laughs> basketball games. And if you check out the Smithsonian Channel. Uh, the Smithsonian Channel has a lot of good information on there. But on this particular night, they actually had an episode called The Green Book. And uh, I tuned into it and checked it out. And it was like, wow, a lot of this stuff I had never heard. Like you, I, I knew what The Green Book was. But this uh, series took you deep into what really went on behind the scenes with The Green Books, with The Green Book. And some of that was not made um, uh, clear in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so um, we'll weave in some of that information, but we'll kick off, you know, let you give your revelation of what what you thought of the movie. And we'll we'll go back and forth like that. But since it was your first time seeing it, what were your thoughts uh, about the movie as a whole? Wow. You know, it was a good movie. You know, it was the best picture of the year. This year, I think it was. And as I watched it, it was it was very interesting because it brought back a lot of information and some of the things that we've experienced during our lifetime. I think overall, the movie dealt with and the situation dealt with the communi communications between cultures. It was a, a black person who was in a situation where he was in, I would consider no man's land. He wasn't black enough because he was classically trained as a pianist, but he couldn't fit into white society because of the segregation uh, situation that was going on uh, throughout the country, in particular upstate uh, in New York itself. 
So that was a cultural cultural awakening for him and for the person that he chose to be his driver, who was a person that was of Italian descent. And he ended up working for the main character in the movie. And the person was Don Shirley. And the Italian driver was named Tony the Lip. I can't think of his uh, real last name because nobody else could in the movie right. as well. <laughs> right. So he just says, call me Tony the Lip. You know, like right. in most society, right. people, if we don't understand how to pronounce someone's name, then it's easier for us to use a nickname and so right. on. Right. So, right. you know, it's, it's I'm not going to get off track here, but I've always felt that, you know, when you give your kids names, that's what you should call your kids. You know, I've never been, and Lynn and I have never been one to say, we didn't call Alex AJ. Uh, we didn't call Stephanie Steph because that's what their name's not on their birth certificate. So we just believe that, you know, if you name your child Alex, you call him Alex. If you name him Stephanie, you call him Stephanie. So anyway, Tony the Lip was the, uh, the driver, and I think there was a uh, within the movie, uh, there was a a consciousness awakening of both men. You know, this person, you know, Don Shirley, who had never really understood the South or really incorporated or developed that black blackness of the the. 50s, 60s, and 20 uh, the, the, from the Harlem Renaissance and so on. It, in the movie, they portrayed him not even knowing jazz music. Right. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't know any of the popular artists that was out there. Hell, they made it seem as if he didn't even know Motown. This guy didn't know what Motown right, right. was all about. Right. Which was amazing. Which, of course, we grew up on, and so on. And he had never heard it before. I mean. It, it, a cliche is, you know, that all black people eat fried chicken. Well, he didn't eat fried chicken. Right. I'm like, what's up with this guy? You know, you know, you stereotype black folks because, I mean, technically, yes, we eat collard greens and white people eat collard greens as well. Right. But, you know, collard greens, mashed potatoes, black eyed peas, you know, uh, uh, fried chicken is something that he was not used to because it wasn't right. part of him growing up. So right. that shows a little bit about uh, the the differences between the two cultures as well. This Italian guy who lost his job and he had to do something to help his family out as well. So he goes out, he becomes a driver of this uh, black concert pianist, classical pianist, and they travel throughout the, the United States, the Midwest and the South. Interesting that I, I noticed that they went to Hanover College, and I went, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Hanover, go to Hanover College. <laughs> that's really interesting. So uh, it, it was a good movie. I, I think towards the end, you know, I'm, I'm really a big softy. And right towards the end, man, it brought tears to my eyes. The very last couple of scenes, I'm like, man, I knew it was going to happen. And hell, yeah. tears, tears still welled up in my eyes. 
yeah. So that's that's my thoughts on it. I thought the movie was was excellent, and I'm gonna put it in my collection, yeah. so that we can uh, we can share it with friends and watch it when we want to as well, because it was an excellent movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I concur. Uh, the movie was fantastic. Uh, you know, supposedly based on true events that occurred, there there was a bit of controversy because the family of Mr. Shirley came out after the fact and said, "No, nah, a lot of what happened in there wasn't really true." You yeah. know, and 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 that you know, there's always controversy surrounding something when you when you're portraying aspects of people's lives, and maybe certain people weren't bought into the loop, brought into the loop on certain things. Stuff like that will occur. But overall, I thought it was a great movie. I think, as you alluded to, what you see is you see the relationship developing between these two guys from totally different spheres of life. You know, uh, it, it surprised me when they started, you know, on the trip uh, that, yeah, my man had not, uh, Mr. Shirley had never eaten fried chicken. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But again, I think it was a scene in the movie where, where they're at this juke joint mm-hmm. and he lets his hair down and he starts tearing up that piano in the juke joint. And he's right. got people on their feet dancing, having a good time. I mean, he, he had some of that in his background. I think he was afraid to show it because his upbringing would not allow him to express that side of himself. But you saw that clearly uh, during that scene in the juke joint. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 and, it, and it let them know that as they were going to all these different places, and Tony the Lip knew about Motown. Tony the Lip knew about <laughs> Little Richard, and he knew about Aretha Franklin, and so on. So he was sharing what he knew as far as black culture, even though that he grew up in a neighborhood that didn't really like black people. Right, right. But you know, it's it's interesting, right. and we've always known that you know people that grow up in small towns and they don't want to associate with black folks, but yet they listen to Motown and yet they listen to black music and it becomes part of the culture. You know, it's like, remember when Elvis was the big hit? Well, Elvis grew up in a small community in Tupelo, Mississippi, and he lived in a black neighborhood and he went to black churches. And so he was able to cross over and bring black music to the white community. Right. Uh, And now, oh, it's okay to listen to, to, to Elvis. Now he's the king. Well, really he wasn't the king. (laughs) Little Richard was the king of all. And so that was the relationship that they had and that he shared that information or those musical, um, dialogues, with Dr. Shirley and so on. And so it took it took Shirley a long time to kind of let his hair down a little bit, you know, loosen up that that tie that he wore every day. (laughs) And so that he could go when they got to the juke joint, you know, he got to the juke joint and, and even the black folks in the juke joint said, What's he doing dressed up in here? Right. And he was he was in tails. Right. He was and, in tails. Yeah. He was in tails because he refused to play because this um, this hotel wouldn't allow him to eat in the yep. in the restaurant that night. Well, yep. his other two um, it was a, he had a trio. A, a, a trio. Yeah. 
the other two guys were able to eat and they weren't, they were, one was a Jewish guy and one was a white guy. And so they were able to eat. And he says, I'm, if I can't, if I cannot eat in this place, I'm not giving a concert. And so they just, they try to bogart him. They try to take advantage and say, you need us more than we need you. So either you eat in the back or you're not going to, you're not going to play. And so he goes, hell, I'm not playing. So that's when he goes to the jute joint and yep. he's dressed in tails. And the black folks look at him like, man, <laughs> you look at you all sophisticated and stuff. Right. You going to play? Yeah. He goes, yeah, I, I can play a little bit. And he gets up there and tears that piano up. Black folks who was doubting his ability yep. now says, oh, he's a regular guy. He's, he's, right. he's not right. all stuck up. Right. So that was a very interesting part of the of the movie. Right. And, and and we do that. We do that. You know, we we can we can talk. We're talking amongst ourselves. But that is one of the issues in the black community, community. that if someone, a black person is viewed as having a bit of sophistication, they speak with proper English, they conduct themselves in a certain manner. It appears to others within the community that why are you acting uppity? Why are you acting white? And, you know, this guy was just being he, he was a product of his environment. Right. But as Keith Sweat says, don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah. As Keith Sweat said, don't get it twisted. I can go this way, too. And that's what they saw. They underestimated this guy. And when he got on that piano, man, he he, he shut that juke joint down. <laughs> yeah. and folks were having a good time. And he had a good time because he realized you're like, wow, you know. There's a part of me that, you know, that I've neglected. I think he realized that. There's a part of me, part of my culture that that I've neglected. And I think it made him feel good. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, to me, that was one of the highlights of the movie uh, for him uh, doing that. It's like, wow, this, there's some redemption in that, in that scene. And I really like that. Um, one, one of the things that I want to throw out is, you know, the title of the movie was The Green Book. But... I don't think the aspect of what the Green Book actually was was totally exposed in the movie. Right. I think the movie was turned was 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 told from the aspect of the white guy, and you get a different perspective. So, for for informational purposes, what I found in uh, from this series the other night, you know, the Green Book uh, was also known as the Negro Motorist Handbook. Right. Or the Negro Traveler guy, whatever, uh, started by a gentleman named Victor Green. And uh, he was a postal worker, postal worker in Harlem. And that is how the book came to be distributed. He utilized the infrastructure of the postal system to find out where to distribute the book or what places to put in the book. So black travelers would have uh, places of safe haven when they traveled across the U.S. Yeah, when they, they can travel safely and be not right. harassed. Right. And, and and that wasn't, you know, gotten into deeply in the movie. That was one of the things that disappointed me about the movie is like, OK, the title of the movie is this. But are you really talking about that? And I, right. I think the, the aspect of what that book was, what it meant to black families traveling uh, and, and and how it provided black families in the 50s and 60s safe haven to take part in the American dream of traveling across this country was was underestimated in the movie, was undervalued. So um, at the height, the book came out in 1936. At the height of its publication, there was about 9,800 sites listed in that book. 
And he also had some international locations in the book. There was places in Canada and uh, places in Mexico uh, were in the Green Book. So I found that interesting because that was something that, one, I never heard of. I never knew that. Uh, the um, All types of businesses were in the Green Book. The, the movie, you know, maybe touched on a few of those. But there were beauty salons, barbershops, hotels, you name it. If it catered to the black community, those businesses were listed in this particular book. Yeah, and it not so much that it catered to the black community; it was there for the black community because right, right. we couldn't. I remember traveling to my relatives in Florida and Louisiana, and we couldn't stay at a hotel. Right. I mean, Holiday Inn wasn't open for black folks in the fifties and sixties down south. It just was not. Absolutely. So most. Black families, if they were going to stay overnight, they had to find somebody in a, a town, a small town or wherever where they're going to stop. And then they would have to stay there, pay them in a boarding house and then get up the next day. Same goes with gasoline. My dad right. always took extra cans of gas, right. put in a truck, put in the truck yeah. because there were places where he could not get gas. Yeah. And, you know, we're traveling 12, 13 hours to Gainesville and 12, 13 hours to home of Louisiana, you know, so that's what the Green Book did as well as you mentioned, you know, these are safe havens that you can go. You can go to, hey, man, I need my my deep. I need my do done. Can I stop in this? If I'm going to spend the night in this town, where can I get something to eat? Where can I get something to drink, whether it's alcohol or sodas or whatever? Where can I laundry my clothes? Where can I get my hair did? Okay. So that's what the book was about. And, And I used to show tell my students at, at Prairie Meridian High School about the Green Book, exactly what we're talking about now. And they were shocked that this just went on. You know, it's the long as long as Wayne, as long as I taught, I always tried to bring a little bit of the black element into teaching history. And they had never heard of the Green Book. Wow. But I but they heard of it when I brought it up because in the history books, the Green Book is not in there. Nope. So nope. I, I always add, you know, little interesting side notes to uh, my my teaching as as I taught for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, this this particular series. I mean, it opened up like, wow, I never knew that, you know, and that's again, it's it's if American history needs to be told stories like this, you know, about what this book was. You know, that needs to be a central part of when you're hitting on that uh, chapter of the civil rights movement, civil rights in the U.S., stuff like this needs to be included in that. So people know this is what the struggle is really like for people. Our parents who grew up at the height of the civil rights movement, you know, that the fact that you can't go eat certain places. I mean, you literally have to try to find a place to eat or go to the bathroom or whatnot. And, and, And I mean, it was like, I mean, this is. On some levels, it was inhumane that, uh, you know, people were treated like that. But thank goodness for people like Mr. Green, who had the foresight to say, you know what, we can do something about this. And so he developed a book that bore his name and uh, and the rest is history, as they say. Uh, One of the interesting other things I found was that the S.O. Gas Company, you know, S.O. Gas Yes. They were some of the prime supporters of the Green Book, and they helped market and distribute it all across the country. S.O. gas stations. 
1948, the uh, a travel service was added to the Green Book. So people, black families could go out and they could book vacations through uh, entities that had been added to the Green Book. They could book vacation places. Right. And one of the key places that people booked was a place called Idlewild. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you remember, several years ago, Outcast did a movie called Idlewild, yep, yep. which sort of based on this resort spot that black families flocked to uh, during the heights of the Civil Rights Movement, during the 50s. And it, I was like, wow, I, you know, I knew I'd heard of Idlewild, but didn't know exactly what the depth of what went on there. So that was explored in the movie. Uh, Nat King Cole. One of Nat King Cole's most famous songs, uh, Get Your Kicks on Route 66. At the height of the Green Book, there was only one hotel <laughs> on Route 66 that black people could stay in. And that was the Alberta Hotel. It was in Springfield, Missouri. And it was there uh, you know, for black people to stay. But one hotel on Route 66, right. which I found was unbelievable, totally unbelievable. And so uh, the Green Book served a purpose. It ceased to exist once the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed. Uh, the Green Book ceased to exist after that point. And so um, what a, uh, a blessing uh, that this book provided to so many black families uh, during, uh, during the Civil Rights era uh, for them to be able to travel across country, not feel threatened, again, have a safe haven to stay, to eat, to play, uh, a blessing and 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 many many thanks to Mr. Green for having the foresight to do this, and the United States Postal Service for Absolutely. hiring him so that he could use Absolutely. he could use his knowledge <laughs> to and, help folks and, out. Right, and and, and mm-hmm. I wish more of that had been explored in the movie. You know, it, it 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 was it was told from a perspective that wasn't necessarily ours. And so that's that's one of the only thing I have against the movie is it was told from a perspective that didn't really highlight what this book meant to so many people. Mr. Shirley, you know, was was a beneficiary uh, of that, because when they did travel through places in the South, he did stay at certain certain locales that were there uh, to shelter and feed and house, uh, you know, black folks that came through the area. So, but I, I wish it had been explored a lot more than it was uh, in the movie, but still great movie overall. Yeah, it, it was. And I think as, as we mentioned in, in the book, the idea that it was cool as they traveled through Pennsylvania, you know, they went to the Poconos and they started yeah. making their way to the Midwest and then after they got to Hanover, Indiana, which is in southern Indiana, yep. they were going to the south. And and Tony the Lip said, hey, we're getting ready to go south now. And, of course, they went in from Hanover. I think they went to Louisville. Yep, they, they, they came through Louisville. Came through Louisville. And I think they went through Lexington, maybe. Uh, I don't know if Lexington. I know Lexington. But they did. They did go to Louisville, and so Tony yep. the Lip said, "Hey, you know, we're hitting the South now, so things are going to be different down here." And so it was an awakening to to Don Shirley. The other thing that I found out that was interesting, in which I uh, we may have mentioned earlier before we uh, came on live, is the fact that Tony the Lip felt like it, what it was like to be considered something other than himself during the trip. Yeah. And that was in the scene where they were stopped by police officers someplace. 
and they say, well, can you give me a driver's license and registration and all that? Yeah. And the guy said, well, what's your name? He goes, my name is Tony. And he tried to pronounce his name. And the guy goes, huh? So you're, uh, you know, Italian. He goes, huh? Yeah. You're not any better than the black folks. Yeah. And yeah. so for the first time in his life, he felt that I considered myself being a, a, a decent person living in New right. York, and I looked down yeah. upon black folks. And now these people in the South consider me just as bad as black folks. That's right. So That's that right. was that was an awakening to me. And I thought they did, a, as far as that go, that was a pretty decent job of saying that, you know, for a lot of people in the country, you know, if you are just a little bit better than black folk, then you're good enough. It doesn't matter how poor you are, doesn't matter right. the situations right. you're in or whatnot. But if you can feel that you're better than than black folks, then yeah. then you you're 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 doing okay. And yeah. so for the first time, Tony the Lip basically said, "Well, I'm no better than this guy who, when I first met these black folks, came to my house to help my family out." They drank out of my glasses, and I threw the glasses away just because they were black, and they drank out of the glasses. Right, and his and his and his wife went back and got the glasses out of the got, trash. got the glasses out of the trash. Uh, yeah, uh, she realized it's like, hey, be, these guys came in, they did they did work for us, you know, and you treat them with you know you treat them with humility, man. You know that that that's what that's what his wife she was the one that like you know what you practice humility you treat people the way you would want somebody to treat you that's what i really liked about her character she was steady all the way through and she knew you know when tony the lip you know they're traveling and she's getting the letters that he's writing her to <laughs> they're like my husband can't spell cat and, <laughs> yeah. and, and mr shirley is the one and she thanked him when they when they finally made it back to new york she thanked him because she knew that like hey i appreciate what you did for my husband right. and so she was she was straight all the way through her character you know, she practiced kindness, uh, humility. She treated people the way we would expect anyone to treat anyone, you know, and, and that's what I liked about her character. So, yeah, Tony DeLip figured it out. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, if you remember, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, someone asked President Johnson, LBJ, he had something to deal with that same issue that Tony DeLip felt that, you know, he was considered just a, a hair above yes. culturally than black folks. And someone asked President Johnson yep. uh, once, he asked, why poor middle-class Republicans voted against their own interests? And he responded by saying that if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, meaning black man, mm -hmm. he would know you're picking his, he wouldn't know that you're picking right. his pocket. Right. Hell, <laughs> Johnson said, hell, give him someone to look down upon and he'll empty his pockets for you. That's right. That's right. You know? and, yeah. And I, I hate to say it, but, you know, we don't we don't want to bring it up in 20. But that's exactly what happened in 2016 to to a lot of extent. You know, folks had to be told that, uh, you know, uh, you know, the anger that was stirred. Uh, by the current occupant uh, against people who don't look like the majority 
A lot of that fed into that. A lot of that fed into that. These people are taking something from you. These people are, you're better than these people, blah, blah, blah. That rhetoric uh, aided in uh, the individual getting elected. So it, it hasn't gone away. It hasn't right. gone away. And it so Tony, Tony felt, felt that, you know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Hey, he, I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, he thought. He got yeah. a rude awakening. He rude got awakening. a rude awakening when it, when he crossed the Mason Dixon line, yes. you know, and and that was a poignant uh, 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 scene in the movie too. Because I'm like, okay, now you know what it feels like. Now you know what it feels like. And yes. the, the cop was surprised, first of all, to see this white guy driving this black guy. Black guy. <laughs> Drive, it wasn't Miss Daisy wasn't being right. driven. <laughs> right. And the cop was surprised when he pulled him over. And it's like, whoa, you know, so a lot of a lot of interesting aspects of that movie. A lot of good human interest uh, stories that were intertwined within that movie. Um, and, you know. Again, great movie. I just wish they had expounded more on the title of the movie and what that really meant to a lot of people who depended on depended on that for their safety uh, as they just tried to be, you know, part of the American experience. And right. you, know, you had to have this book. And I, I on the and if you get a chance, go out. If you if you have the Smithsonian Channel, uh, either on demand or wherever, go out and it's called the Green Book. I think it was called The Green Book, Ride to Freedom, something that I think that's the title of it. But uh, one of the um, wasn't a commercial, but one of the one of the public service announcements for the Green Book was that like the American Express card, don't leave home without it. That yes. was just, a, you know, when you travel, make sure you have your Green Book with you uh, so you you can experience uh, and have a safe and enjoyable trip wherever you're going. Make sure you have your green book with you. So uh, I, I thought, man, they did a fantastic job with the series. So check it out on the Smithsonian Channel if you have the opportunity. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. I, I remember I've, I've got the Smithsonian Chan- Channel yeah. since I've uh, got I watch YouTube live. OK. Or YouTube TV. And it's part of that. And they got some interesting things on. on Absolutely. There. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, well, Wayne, what else is on your mind? This oh, wow. thing that comes up? Well, it's, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, it's 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 hard to believe we're into a new decade, you know. And, uh, you know, looking back on the last 10 years, man, a lot took place in a 10 year span. I, I just I don't know where 10 years went. On top of that, I don't know where 20 years went. 20 years, right. 20 years went. And uh, we uh, we went to New York City at the turn of when 1999, we went to New York City to see the ball drop in Times Square. That was my wife's bucket list. So she's like, we're going to New York. I'm going to be in Times Square, 1999, New Year's Eve. (laughs) So we were we were in Times Square midnight, 1999, saw the ball drop into 2000. And we were just talking about the other day. It's like, man, 20 years have gone by. Wow. You know, 20 years have gone by and you think like, man, 20 years is a long time. But in reality, it's not because I don't know where it went. <laughs> well, you know, when when people are busy and they got families and so on, time just time just flies, man. You know, it's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. Here's a, here's an interesting side side note. If you want to think about time. 
on New Year's Day or the day after New Year's, I decided that I was going to go up into my attic and just clear out. I had to put in a new exhaust fan in our bathroom and I had to run it, you know, outside the house and so on. So we had a whole bunch of boxes and stuff up in our attic that's just been sitting there for right, right. for decades. So I decided to go up there. I said, I'm cleaning out all these boxes. I mean, there were mostly like computer boxes and stereo equipment boxes. At this point, if we have to move I don't need the box to put the stereo in, things like that. So we just chucked a bunch of that stuff out. Right. And in one of the boxes, I had a bunch of small things. And as I'm pulling things out and Lynn's kind of going through them, you know, and there's there's a bunch of um, fiberglass insulation all over the place, you know. So, you know, where I do the podcast is the entrance to the attic is in this closet. Okay. So I'm going through and I'm pulling stuff out and I found two matchbook covers. One said Wayne and Cynthia, October the 15th, wow. 1983. The other said Sharon and Joey, wow. December the 23rd, 1983. <laughs> so up in our attic were two matchbooks that you guys gave out during your weddings that we attended. Wow, man. <laughs> How about that? And here we are, 36 years later. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's also amazing that within that year, just about within a year, a little over a year, all three couples, me, Lynn, you and Cynthia and Joey and Sharon, we were all married within about a year and about a month of one another. Yeah, yeah. That is wild. <laughs> that is wild. And here we are, still, still kicking it. <laughs> yeah. And uh and 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 doing an activity that was birthed on a uh, a cruise that we took as as friends and and couples hanging out. We invited Greg and Marilyn to come along. Uh, but uh, the core group, like you mentioned, uh, the three of us, uh, you know, and Greg, we grew up with Greg as well. But uh, an idea that was birthed on that cruise, here we are into the second year. So that in yeah. itself was also a blessing. Something that we were just acting a fool one night at dinner has turned into this podcast. And so yep. uh, that that tells you how crazy life can be at times. <laughs> yeah. And just think we're we're working on almost 30 podcasts. Uh, since we started on, I think our first podcast was January the 2nd. January the 2nd, yeah. Uh, 2019, yeah. and here it is, 2020, man. Yeah, because we had just come back from the cruise in October, and uh, we had mulled it over, and like, yeah, let's do that at the first of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And here we are, so in, yeah. into the second year. So it's been a blast, um, and it, it's always good to talk about topics that, uh, you know, not necessarily have something to do with um, you know, growing up uh, in E-Town or whatnot, uh, although the topic tonight sort of did because we we grew up toward the end of segregation uh, in Hardin County and in E-Town. And I think the thing that we share amongst amongst ourselves is the fact that, you know, we we grew up at the time when the movie theater was segregated. And uh, we mentioned, I think, on one of the podcasts that we had to go 
in that side door of the state theater, walk up those right. cast stairs, and go right. upstairs, had our own little snack bar up there and whatnot, because we couldn't come down into the main auditorium. So, uh, you know, that that was our, you know, uh, relationship or introduction or whatever you want to call it, uh, to being living in a segregated society at the time. And, and I think probably what we were probably, what, 12, 11, 12 uh, at that time when the when the state theater, you know, we used to go there on Saturdays and whatnot. So, you know, every story doesn't tie into back home. But I think a lot of what we talk about, we could probably find an avenue to, to bring it into the mix. Sure. Uh, but I think aspects of Tonight Show did because we we did grow up on the toward the end of segregation. And right. And, and our, our parents, my my I know that your parents you know, they went to, to I know your mom went to Bond, Washington, and all your aunts, and they all went to Bond, Washington, yeah. Washington, which was the segregated school over on your end of the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents didn't go to Bond, Washington, because my, my, my dad went to third grade, and that was it. Yeah. And my mom was, I think she was a junior as far as she got. And, you know, the friends that we grew up with, you know, we all went to pretty much an integrated school, yep. elementary yep. school, middle yep. school, and the high school, yep. you know? And so even though that the state theater was segregated, our friends were still at the movies watching the same movies that we were, but we never had that, the idea that they're better than us and so on. It was just, right. that's just how it was. And much of the South was like that as well. And, we didn't bucket or anything like that. It was just how it was. And like you said, when we were probably 12, 13, then the entire state theater was, was integrated and we sat downstairs and yep. everything else. So, yeah, yep. yeah. So it's tied back to, you know, here we are, you know, some 60 some years after our birth and we're friends from across the country and we've experienced a lot of similar things. And our kids have experienced a lot of similar things because they're so close in age. Right. So I think the Green Book was a good little title. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. something that we've we've um, uh, needed to share with our, our listening audience with. Yeah, so Yeah, yeah. We, yeah I, it's again, timely. Um, you know, the movie expounded on a lot of great things. And uh, it was good also to add in the additional information, you know, just about the founder of the book and, you know, some things that maybe people didn't know um, about the Green Book itself. So uh, great, 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 great topic for tonight. Great. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I got one other thing, Wayne, before we close this out. Absolutely. I was uh, on Facebook uh, the last couple of days and heard some news that um, one of our classmates passed away. Yeah, I saw uh, Erica Walker. Erica Walker. Yeah. And don't know much about the details or anything like that, but it's it was on put on the yeah. uh, E-Town High School uh, reunion page, and some of our classmates uh, let people know that she passed away. So, yeah. you know, we'd like to uh, send out condolences to the Walker family. And, you know, as each year goes by, you know, we're we're starting to lose more of our uh, classmates, you know. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, a sad situation. And uh, we, we wish them well and, uh, you know, pray for the family Absolutely. and that, um, you know, that they may be blessed, you know, during this time period of their grieving. 
Right. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and I remember Erica um, from from school and uh, her dad was a Sunday school teacher at the church. Uh, yep. I remember him. Uh, Ruth, uh, I think Ruth graduated with uh, with Cynthia. I think Ruth graduated with Cynthia. And then Roy, her brother, uh, used to be out here. He, Roy lived in Colorado Springs. He was a chaplain down at Fort Carson. Okay. And, and we went down to the um, chapel uh, one Sunday where he was the the chaplain over this particular Protestant chapel down at Fort Carson. So we had a chance to tag up with him uh, several years ago while he was out here. And I'm not sure where he's stationed now or if he's actually retired out of the Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but great family, I think. Uh, Bobby, uh, Ruth, Erica. Uh, Willie Rose, uh, I mean, huge family. Uh, so, yes, uh, we want to remember Erica tonight and, and prayers to the family. Yeah. Well, all right, brother. I think this is, uh, we've, we've made it to the, uh, close to the top of the hour. This is a nice little topic that we've uh, had to, some discussions on. So, Absolutely. we want to wind this down and hopefully all of our listeners out there, the few that we have, uh, we hope that you can get something out of tonight's podcast. And if you're interested in looking up more information on the Green Book, please do so. Uh, Wayne mentioned the Smithsonian has uh, uh, information on it as well. So uh, with that, I'd like to say that's 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 where we are now. How about yourself? That's where we're at. And uh, this wraps up the first episode of season two of the Cracks podcast. Check us out, SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Android platforms, the Google platform. So until the next time, we're out. We're out. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year.